And welcome to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Monday, March 13th, 2023. South Sudan's partners press the parties to pick up the pace on implementing the peace deal. Well, the government has clearly stated that there would be no more extensions of the timelines. So this year is critical for achieving all outstanding benchmarks for the timely implementation of the roadmap. And some South Sudanese MPs urged the government to move forward with the constitution-making process. So I would like to appeal to the parties' agreement to ensure that they get serious to avoid another extension. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. South Sudan's international and regional partners are calling on the signatories to the 2018 peace agreement to exert more energy into implementing that deal. The call comes after President Salva Kiir and First Vice President Riyak Machar met last Friday to lower tensions over the firing of Defense Minister Angelina Tenney, who is with the SPLM in opposition. The two leaders did not resolve anything at that meeting, as we hear from Waki Simon Wudu in Juba. The United Nations Mission in South Sudan or UNMIS, the African Union Mission in South Sudan, and the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or EGAT, all say they welcomed Friday's meeting between President Kir and First Vice President Riyak Machar. The Friday's meeting was held in attempts to resolve the dispute over Kir's decision to fire Defense Minister Angelina Tenney of the SPLMIO, a move described by SPLMIO party officials and other observers as a violation of the peace deal. Unmiss spokesperson Linda Tom says regional and international actors want to see the parties increase their momentum in implementing the peace deal. Well, the government has clearly stated that there would be no more extensions of the timelines. So this year is critical for achieving all outstanding benchmarks for the timely implementation of the roadmap. Tom says the special representative of the UN Secretary General in South Sudan, Nicholas Haysom, has noted the limited progress made during the last period of the implementation of the peace deal, as well as some slippages. The partners wish to once again encourage renewed focus by all signatories to the revitalized peace agreement as outlined in the roadmap for its full and timely implementation. Tom says while the actors have reiterated their full support for the efforts of all stakeholders and the leaders of South Sudan towards the success of the peace process and the completion of the roadmap, they want to see progress in areas that have lacked behind schedule. The AU mission, IGAD and UNMIS, encourage the parties to maintain collegial collaboration, continuous consultations, and consensus building in the letter and spirit of the revitalized agreement. Edimonia Kani, executive director of the Community Empowerment for Progress organization, called on the regional and international partners to redouble their efforts in working with Kir and Machar to finish the job and end the political stalemate. 
because this political stalemate offer a huge threat to the lifespan of the roadmap. At the same time, it's causing panic among the citizens. At the same time, also, it's making citizens to question that our leaders are not interested in putting peace and stability as a priority. Kerr's decision to fire Angelina Cheney and swap control of the Defense and Interior Ministries created tension, especially in Juba, over the past week. Policy analysts have warned the move may lead to a collapse of the peace deal if not carefully handled. The revitalized Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission, or RJMEC, the body tasked with the overseeing implementation of the peace agreement, said in a statement last week that if the two principals cannot resolve the stalemate, they should refer to RJMEC as stipulated in the peace deal. While RJMEC did not condemn Kerr's decision, it is said the implementation of the deal with less than 24 months of the extended transitional period remaining, it is important that this dispute be resolved as soon as possible so that the peace agreement can continue to be implemented in a timely manner. For VOA News, Mwake Simon Wudu in Juba. Some South Sudanese lawmakers say the mandate in the peace deal to reformulate the Constitutional Review Commission has not been met. Lawmaker Peter Lamoud says the 45 days allowed by the Constitution-Making Process Act for the parties to nominate their candidates and reconstitute the commission expired last month. He says he and other lawmakers worry that the delay could lead to yet another extension of the government's transitional period. Viola Elias has the story for VOA from Juba. On December 21, 2022, President Salva Kiir signed the Constitution-Making Act, a law that governs the Constitution-Making process. Section 9 of the Act gives the parties to the Revitalized Peace Agreement 30 days from that day forward to submit names of their nominees to the tax force under the Justice Ministry to ensure the National Constitutional Review Commission is reconstituted within 45 days. MP Lomude, who represents the South Sudan Opposition Alliance, says it's been more than a month since President Kiir signed the constitution-making process bill into law and nothing has been done. Lomude says it is time the parties act to avoid lengthening the transition period again. So I would like to appeal to the parties' agreement to ensure that they get serious to avoid another extension. Because if the extension of the transitional period was based on uh, the 24 months of the agreement that are supposed to be the, the duration that is meant for the permanent constitution making, then it is important that this process should kick start now in order to avoid another extension. Lomude urged the parties to renew the commitments they made when they signed the new roadmap in August last year, extending the transitional period. If you continue with the same behavior of what has been happening in the past, I'm worried that there is, you know, there is a tendency from some parties' agreement to go for another extension, something that I think the people of South Sudan will not be happy with. Lomeka Joel Lomongeng, who represents SPLM in opposition in the transitional parliament, is urging parties to reconstitute the key bodies as stipulated in the peace agreement so the country can move on. So the delay itself, it is a disadvantage to the people and we urge everybody who is responsible to make sure that the constitution making process is set in motion so that we can move on with the country. Lawmaker Paulino Lukudu, leader of the United South Sudan Party, says although it is necessary that the parties reconstitute the commission, the constitution making process act need to be explained by the justice minister. The article stipulates that the commission have 57 members including a chairperson and deputy who shall be from the opposite gender. 
Lukudu says the act did not clarify the criteria for appointing the chairperson, deputy and secretary general of the commission. The Ministry of Justice and Constitutional Affairs has to table an urgent memo explaining the, the, the permanent constitutional making process act because we understood that in the composition of the political of, of the NCRC, they are going to be a representative of the political parties, a civil society, faith-based group, uh, people living with the disability of the diaspora and the IDPs. Based on international and regional practice, Lukudu says the leaders who are to head the commission must be non-partisan individuals with basic knowledge of constitutional law. He urged the Justice Minister and parties to speed up the process of the reconstitution of the NCRC to avoid another extension of the transitional period. People are already fed up of this extension. When you look from our history, from the CPA up to today, South Sudanese never had chance to elect their leaders. All is a government formed by the elites. Now the people want to form their government. Any extension is betrayal of the trust of the people towards the political leaders. Lokudu says he will not accept another extension of the transitional period. Last week, Charles Tai, acting chairperson of the Reconstituted Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission, repeated calls for the reconstitution of NCRC. As Erratikini continues in the implementation of the roadmap, there are some key bodies which need to be reconstituted and staffed. These include the Political Parties Council, the National Election Commission, the National Constitutional Review Commission. While addressing UN Security Council in Geneva last Tuesday, the UN Secretary General Special Representative to South Sudan, Nicholas Haysam, called on the government to urgently reconstitute and fund the reconstituted National Constitutional Review Commission to pave the way for drafting a permanent constitution. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. Sudan's top two military leaders say they have resolved their dispute and agreed to work together to end the political stalemate in that country. General Abdul Fattah El-Burhan, head of the Sovereign Council, and his deputy, Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, met for the first time since their disagreement erupted over a month ago. Michael Atit reports for VOA from Khartoum. A statement issued by the Sovereign Council over the weekend said the two leaders reviewed Sudan's political and security situation and agreed to form a joint security committee from regular forces, the state agencies and armed groups that were signatories to the peace deal to handle the security situation in the country. The meeting discussed the progress of the political process and the need to move forward with the agreed agreements, according to the statement released by Al-Burhan and Dagalo. Before the meeting, Army spokesman Nabil Abdullah reiterated the military's commitment toward establishing a civilian-led government in a televised statement. We fully support the entire provisions of the political framework agreement which stipulate the unity of all armed forces under a civilian-led transitional government during the remaining transitional period until elections are held in the country. Political analysts have speculated in recent months about disagreements brewing between Al-Burhan and Dagalo on way forward. Abdullah says... The army shall not let citizens down on their journey to democracy. We want to assure our people that your armed forces shall remain the only sustainable hope and a loyal companion towards the completion of the Sudan revolutionary path. 
The signatories to the political framework agreement welcomed the army's statement and called to expedite efforts to form a civilian-led government during the transitional period. Rashid Muhammad Ibrahim, professor of political science at the Center for Diplomatic Studies in Khartoum, says it is good that the military leaders have realized any disagreement between them would interfere with the stability of the country. The Sudanese political future depends on returning to a strategic path of the revolution that needs stability. No parties shall claim to be owning the transitional period. Sudanese people are those who have the final decision. This period is supposed to be a short period led by a civilian government with specific programs that focus on the livelihood of the people. The 2022 framework agreement stipulates that the army shall hand over power to civilian government and all armed forces, including the paramilitary rapid support forces and former rebel groups, should be integrated into the national army. Michael Atit for VOA News, Khartoum. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, Ugandan lawmakers consider a bill that would give police the right to throw someone in jail for declaring they are gay. Find out more after the break. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America, a bill introduced by MP Asuman Basalira on Thursday in Uganda's parliament would allow authorities to imprison LGBTQ individuals for declaring their identity. Uganda has been cracking down on LGBTQ groups, claiming they promote homosexual activity among children. The bill is similar to the 2014 Anti-Homosexuality Act, but that legislation was struck down by a court on procedural grounds. Oriam Nieko, a researcher with Human Rights Watch in Kenya, tells me that if the bill becomes law, a person could also be thrown into jail if he or she touches someone with so-called homosexual intent. The, the provision says that if you touch somebody with the intention of committing this new offense that the bill is supposed to create of homosexuality, that that could land you in prison. Um, and obviously, a, something as broad and widely as as that allows for such a wide interpretation you know really shouldn't stand in the law it really just provides so many opportunities for abuse i mean not only the fact that it essentially criminalizes people for consensual sex between adults uh but the fact that it can potentially be used just to to punish any person uh that's perceived as being gay or lesbian or or any any belonging to any sexual minority why is there so much stigma well i think the stigma is rooted in in homophobia which is as we know is a, a global issue but specifically in the ugandan context 
it's been it's been uh, facilitated, I would say, for for political reasons by public figures who've used sort of rounded up these these fears that people have um, of uh, this 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 idea that uh, this uh, that that foreigners are uh, are coming to to uh, recruit their children or into homosexuality or to abuse their children, and they've sort of used that as a way to to either distract attention from other things that are going on or to 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 gain easy political support. And that's been used as a tool, a political tool for a very long time. The idea is that homosexuality as a as a whole is the the thinking behind this law is that homosexuality as a whole it should be illegal. Whether whether you agree to it or not as an adult, it should not be allowed. It shouldn't be completely eradicated from Ugandan society by creating this offense which is absurd because it's never going to disappear it's been in existence for forever and there are gay people there are gay ugandans that exist um and so criminalizing it is just is just going to further persecute a, a group of people that's already facing a lot of challenges have there already been government crackdowns on gays and lesbians in uganda and if so what kind of activities been going on yeah well i mean first of all uh we have in the penal code a remnant of the, the, the British colonial system, uh, uh, a provision that uh, basically criminalizes sex between people of the same gender. And that has been in place for decades, obviously, uh, but it's not been implemented. It's not been, not a lot of people have been prosecuted for that. Uh, and then in 2013, uh, the government passed the first iteration of this particular bill, the Anti-Homosexuality Act, which went through the process, uh, was passed by parliament, but then uh, was struck down by the constitutional court. And that law has had similar provisions. It, it criminalized homosexuality, the, made the promotion of homosexuality a crime as well. But because it was struck down, it didn't stand any longer. The parliament has tried to put in place similar uh, laws over the years. Uh, which also haven't stood. But now they are trying to make sure that this particular law uh, comes to the fore once again. That was Oriam Nieko. He's a researcher with Human Rights Watch in Kenya. He was speaking with me from Nairobi. The South African government is investigating allegations that more than 1,000 police officers were recruited last year without undergoing legally required background checks and other security procedures. This could mean that criminals have infiltrated the police in a country with some of the highest crime figures in the world. For VOA, Darren Taylor has this report. The latest police statistics show 82 murders and almost 140 rapes a day in South Africa. In June last year, Police Minister Becky Tlele announced 10,000 additional recruits would be trained to go to war against criminals. Former senior police manager Patricia Mashale says the recruitment process that followed was riddled with corruption and absolutely chaotic. In a report to government, she said many of the new officers hit the streets without the necessary instruction because of a shortage of trainers. Marshale claimed the recruitment was hijacked by people she called political appointments in the police. She said these senior police members took bribes from about a thousand prospective trainees who were then selected as recruits. 
leader of South Africa's independent police union, Mpo Quinika, says these candidates were not fettered and so could be dangerous criminals with badges, as he puts it. Quinika says abuses are happening because the governing African National Congress, the ANC, has politicized the police and is using it to give jobs to friends. In 2022, we employed a very senior officer in the police who has never been at entry level, but coming at a level of a lieutenant general to come and fill up the post that other major generals that are in that department could fill. But when that person was already appointed, failed to produce uh, qualifications, how did it happen that that incumbent takes over that position without producing those qualifications? No one knows. He says panels of experienced crime fighters should be deciding appointments in the police, not politicians. The ANC denies it controls police appointments. Trele's office told VOA investigations into the case mentioned by Quinica and others are ongoing. Quinica says he wasn't surprised when he heard about the controversy surrounding the new recruits. That's what happens, he says, when procedures aren't followed. This kind of embarrassment could be avoided if you do it right in the beginning and do the right thing because the criteria is there. But they did not do it. Why didn't they do it? Because there's a process. It means someone who have got authority persuaded those that are doing the appointments to allow that person to gain entry into that place. This is the politics that we're talking about. Quinica says citizens' lives are endangered and the fight against crime compromised when unqualified people are allowed to become officers, whether junior or senior. He says great friction is created when people apparently connected to the ANC are favoured for promotion instead of experienced, highly skilled officers. Quinica gives an example of an officer who recently shot dead two colleagues and himself at a police station. Unfortunately, these incidents are taking place almost every day. Some of the issues the public don't even know about them. But I can tell you, there is so much sick leaves that are taken by police officers today because of the tension that is taking place within the juniors and the senior management in there. And what is so sad about it is the arrogance of some leadership who does wrong things with impunity. Police Minister Trele says he's tasked a special investigating unit to examine the police recruitment process. However, many in the police say it's the minister himself who's pulling strings to make sure his people occupy senior positions in the service. Trele denies wrongdoing. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken travels to Ethiopia this week to advance the fragile peace process in that East African country. It is the highest level visit by a U.S. official in recent time. The State Department said Friday that Secretary Blinken will also go to Niger to discuss security cooperation in the Sahel. Blinken will hold talks on Wednesday and Thursday in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, with officials, civil society advocates, and humanitarian groups on the the November deal that ended the two-year war. Tens of thousands of people were killed in that civil war.
Vice President Kamala Harris plans to travel to Africa at the end of the month as the United States tries to position itself as a more trusted, reliable partner than China. Harris's office says the trip will take her to Ghana, Tanzania and Zambia. The visit follows earlier trips to the continent by First Lady Jill Biden and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. President Joe Biden is expected to travel to Africa later this year. Last week, we mistakenly said Kush Bank in South Sudan gives loans to South Sudanese women. The Juba-based bank does not discriminate on gender bias. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Vladimir Putin's full-scale invasion of Ukraine has resulted in devastating human costs as U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for Global Criminal Justice Beth Van Schack noted at a recent press briefing. We have seen thousands of civilians killed, millions of Ukrainian citizens forced to flee their homes. Many have become refugees in other countries and historic cities have been pounded to rubble, she said. The government of Russia's war of aggression against a sovereign state is a manifest violation of the United Nations Charter. Members of Russia's forces have committed war crimes and crimes against humanity, including the crimes of murder, rape, torture, and, along with other Russian officials, deportation of Ukraine's population, including children. There is mounting evidence, said Ambassador Van Schack, that these mass atrocities are being committed in every region of Ukraine, wherever Russia's forces are deployed. Winning the war is more than just winning on the battlefield. It also means winning the fight for justice, she declared. It is imperative that justice and accountability remain a focus of the international community. The ambassador observed that currently there are three operational pathways to investigate war crimes and other atrocities in Ukraine. The first involves Ukraine's own domestic courts. Ukraine's prosecutor general has already recorded over 70,000 potential war crimes and other atrocities. The Atrocity Crimes Advisory Group, established by the United States, the European Union and the United Kingdom, is supporting Ukraine's prosecutor general by sending in experts to help document, preserve, and analyze evidence. The second pathway is the International Criminal Court. The ICC is engaged because the government of Ukraine consented to its jurisdiction over alleged crimes committed in Ukraine since February 20, 2014, when Russia seized Crimea. Finally, Ambassador Van Schack said domestic courts around the world, particularly in Europe, are opening investigations of war crimes and other atrocities in Ukraine under the principles of universal jurisdiction, which allow for the prosecution of crimes committed outside a country's territory. Russia's war against Ukraine presents a profound moral issue that the international community needs to grapple with, said Ambassador Van Schack. It is only if we have robust accountability that the deterrence impact will be at its greatest, so other world leaders will think twice before they launch a war of aggression in a way that President Putin has done so. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.
That's all we have for you this Monday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you somehow miss this broadcast, head on over to www.voaafrica.com backslash South Sudan. We now leave you with a song, Riziki, by Jamnazi Africa. listening to Riziki by Jam Nazi Africa. I'm your host, Carol Van Dam in Washington. On behalf of our engineer, Atreus Regis, and producer, Kwame Afori, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.